great. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. Holy Spirit, it's amazing to watch you work. The joy of the Lord is unreal. And what you provide is so good. And what you've done is amazing. Yet, God, I know you're not done. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that in this time that you would bring people to a conviction of their sin. That, Father, you would draw people to Jesus. And that tonight, God, we would see salvation happen. That you would take those who are far from you and bring them near. That they would commit and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. God, we pray that those who have surrendered to you, who have maybe wandered from you, they've bought into lies that the world has to offer. Holy Spirit, I pray you would draw them back. God, for those who are broken, would you bring them to a place of healing and surrender as they honestly come before you and confess their brokenness and their hurt. God, we commit this time to you and we submit to your authority. God, speak. Oh, God, speak. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone says, amen. It's that verse that all of you know. At least maybe you've had to do a memory verse once or twice. And it starts off with two words, for God. For God. Even just those two little words move us all to the place where I know the rest of it, right? And it's something that we we recite. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever is to believe in him, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But do we stop and think through what that means? For God, the one who spoke all things into existence, the one who said, let there be light, and light came and exploded out of the mouth of God at 186,000 miles per second. The God who put all the stars, breathed them out, has named every single one of the hundreds of billions of stars in all the hundreds of billions of galaxies. That God who measures the universe with the span of his hand. That God who is seated on a throne with a hundred million angels surrounding him in constant praise and worship. That God who is on the throne and elders are taking their crowns and throwing it at at, at the throne of Jesus. And they lay down in worship. That God, for God so loved the world. This world that was in rebellion against him. Wanted nothing to do with them. Enemies of Christ. For God so loved the world that he what? 
gave. Guys, what a humble thing, isn't it? But he, what did he give? His one and only son. The second person of the Trinity. The incarnation happened where the Son of God became a person. And because of that, he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses, and yet the whole reason he came was to do what? To redeem us. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever is to believe in him The belief is not just this belief about him. I know that he's up there, and I know he did these things. Guys, that word believe in the original language means it's like you're laying yourself all the way down on this cot. I got nothing else. My whole life is about this. I'm surrendering to you. I can't do it on my own, God, as we looked at this morning, our sin. Guys, we're horribly depraved. I can't save myself. And so I have to fall completely on you and surrender that whoever believes will not perish, will not spend eternity away from him, but will have what? Eternal life. And for some reason, we think that all that means is just length of days. Guys, Jesus is the one who defines what eternal life is in John chapter 17 around verse 3 when he says, and this is eternal life that they might know God. And then they might know his son. Eternal life is quality of life. It's relationship with him. Guys, it's in that same chapter that Jesus is praying for us. See, a little bit before that moment in John chapter 17, Jesus is with his disciples. And he's taking them through what we know as the Last Supper. And Jesus, the Son of God, God Almighty, who measures the universe, he created everything. That God who became man now puts on an apron and goes and washes all the feet of his disciples. Guys, that act is the lowliest of lowly jobs. The slave of slaves did that. But a rabbi never did. And yet Jesus went to each of them. Even Judas the one who would betray him to death. Peter tried to get him to stop. He's like, no, no, you don't get to wash my feet. And it's like Jesus had to say, Peter, I know this doesn't make sense, but it has to be this way. No, you will not do that. Guys, when we don't understand something, we can tell Jesus, no, that's not how it's gonna be. And he gets it, it doesn't make sense to us. But the second time when he says, no, it has to be this way, and we say, no, that's when he says, then you have no part with me. What's Simon Peter saying? Okay, not just my feet, but my my whole body. Just give me a bath. That's awkward. That's an awkward dinner. And Jesus said, your your feet's fine. And then he looks at all of his disciples and says, every single one of you would desert me tonight. See, there's something different about the countenance of Jesus in this moment. They've never seen him like this. None of them believed what it is that he said in the moment. Every single one of you will desert me tonight. And Simon hears that. He says, no, no, no. Uh-uh. 
No, I, wouldn't, I, won't, I won't go anywhere. And I, I would go to jail. No, no, I would die for you. Even if all these other ones, even if they all desert you, I won't. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, you'll be the worst one. Because tonight you're actually going to deny knowing me three times before the rooster crows. They're just going to bolt. You're going to verbally deny even knowing me. Mm -mm, not going to happen. All the other disciples jump in and say, it's not going to happen. He knew their hearts, guys. Then he talks about the one that would, be, but it would betray him to death. And there's, he says, it's the one who's dipping the bread into this cup or to this bowl. And there's Judas. And he looks at him and says, go do what you must do. The Bible says that Satan entered into him. And he went and made a deal with the religious leaders of when they could find Jesus alone so they could arrest him. Jesus goes from there and he goes, he goes to the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where he went there a lot. And so his disciples are with him and he picks the three that he always seemed to pick, Peter, James, and John, and brings them a little bit closer. And he says, you need to pray. Tonight you need to pray. And the Bible says that Jesus from that moment goes about a stone's throw away and collapses to the ground, terrified. And he prays something like this, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. What does that mean when he says, take this cup from me? In the Old Testament, the cup is a reference of the wrath of God. And so what he's saying, he's like, Father, take your wrath from me, but not my will, your will be done. Guys, he's terrified of what's coming. It's almost like Jesus is saying, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go on the cross, but not my will, your will be done. Take your cup from me. I don't want to go, but not my will, your will be done. This same Jesus is the one who said, no one takes my life. There's this, there's this weird thing that, some people who try to denounce Christianity say it's like, oh, it's like, it's like divine child abuse. Like the father's just smashing the son and doesn't care. Guys, Jesus laid his own life down. He says, I will lay down my life and then I'll take it up again. This was Jesus, but in that moment, he's terrified. You ever had to face something that you knew you had to do, but you didn't want to do it because you were afraid Jesus gets you. He gets it. He understands it. He comes back to his disciples, and you know what they're doing? You remember? They're sleeping. And I used to judge them for it. I'm like, how could you not stay awake? But how many of you have ever tried to pray after you get into bed? Right? You know what I'm talking about? Now you're feeling it? Especially if it's cold outside, and you love your bed. It's like, I love this place. This is my favorite. This is like Narnia. <laughs> this. And you get in and you pull the covers up and, and then you do the wiggle. You know the wiggle? You're trying to find that spot. Where is it? Where is it? Boop, there it is. Ah, there it is, yeah. And then you start to pray. Oh, Lord, I thank you. <laughs> Gone. Twelve and a half hours later, you wake up going, Amen. Friends ask you, what did you do last night? I just prayed all night. All night. It was amazing. I used to judge them, and I'm like, I'm no different. 
But he looks at it and he says, hey, guys, I know the flesh is weak. I know your spirit's willing. You've got to pray. You've got to pray. And it says that he goes away again and begins to pray the same thing. But friends, when we look at John chapter 17, that is an extended, that's an extended look at what it is that Jesus prayed in the garden. It's not just that one thing three times. Yes, he brought that up. But guys, you start to read John chapter 17, and it's in that chapter, it's the only time where I can remember in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life where I actually see Jesus say, this is what I want. Every time, every other time that I can think of, Jesus says something like, I only do the things I see the Father doing. I only say the things I hear him saying. But in this moment, in the garden, he says, this is what I want. And you know what he prays? He says, I want those that you have given to me to be with me and to see me in all my glory. Guys, think about it. In the garden, he's saying, I want those. And not just those in the present. He's talking about all of us. He says, Father, the ones you've given to me, I want them to see me in all my glory. And he comes back and they're sleeping. And he goes back again and he continues to pray. Guys, you know that he's terrified because Dr. Luke, the only gospel writer who recorded this part, he said that, he said that Jesus began to sweat drops of blood. And some people look at that and say, it's just poetic license of saying agony. Guys, do you realize that there is a medical condition called hematidrosis, that when you are terrified of something, so much anxiety is going through your body that the capillaries in your forehead will burst and you'll begin to sweat drops of blood. Jesus is terrified of what's coming. He goes to his disciples. You imagine, you imagine he has to kick him to wake him up. Then we weren't sleeping, we just forgot to finish the blink. He says, Guys, get up. My betrayer is at hand. See, in the distance, he sees this little mound of people. They're carrying clubs and torches and lanterns, and they're coming to Jesus. And Jesus says, Get up, it's time. See, in the garden, he prayed. The Bible says this, that Jesus, when he saw them coming, you know who's leading the way? Judas. You ever wonder why he's in the front? It doesn't say. But he's right in the front leading the party. The Bible says that Jesus, when he saw that group and Judas coming with them, Guys, he didn't bolt and hide. He didn't go behind a rock. He didn't climb a tree. He didn't take off running. No, 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 no. The Bible says that he looked straight at him and walked toward him. At some point, do you think that Judas might be sitting there going, oh, this was a mistake. And Judas had set up this sign. This, um, this sign. You'll know the one that it is. By the one, I'll go and kiss him on the cheek. A sign of friendship will be the betrayal sign. And when he kissed him and Jesus looks and says something like, Wow, friend, he calls him friend still. You betray me with a kiss? As the guards that are with him, they come to Jesus and they begin to try to arrest him. And all of a sudden, disciples kind of step in and one of them pulls out a sword and hacks off a dude's ear. You know who that disciple is? Peter. Oh, there's Peter. You got to love him. He hacked off the dude's ear. What was he aiming for? He got the ear. 
Like, unless, unless he's like the amazing, just a source. Who's next? I don't know. I'm thinking it might be just like, no. Ah. And maybe that's why Jesus said, oh, Peter, put it away. That's embarrassing. Oh, put that away, fishermen. And then Jesus goes over to the ear on the ground and picks it up. I know it's weird, right? When it's on our head, it's fine. This is normal. Once it is off my head and I touch it, ugh. And then he goes over to Malchus and puts it back on and heals him. No, heals him. Like, doesn't slap him with it. He doesn't take the, he doesn't do that. Like, he heals him. Guys, at what point maybe Malchus should step up and go, okay, we're good. Let's leave him. Nope. They bind him. And as they bind him, what did all the disciples do? Bolted. Just like he said. Friends, I need you to understand, Jesus knows that you'll mess up more than you think you will. He knows. And they'd lead him away. And they take him into the, the courtyard of the high priest's house, which this is now Ill, this is illegal. You can't have a trial in the middle of the night. And yet they're doing it, and they have all these false witnesses, but their stories aren't making sense because they're not connecting in any way. As they're having that happen, John was able to sneak Peter inside. And so while Peter is warming himself, a little servant girl comes walking up, says, you were with him. No, I don't know him. No, no, I saw you. I don't know him, second time. A little while later, another man looks at him and says, no, you were with him, I can tell by your accent. You're one of his disciples. And Peter made sure they understood. It's like he, it's like he called down a curse from heaven. It's almost like he said, "May God damn me, I don't know the man. The Bible says the rooster crowed right then. The Bible says that Jesus looked up from where he was seated and looked straight into the eyes of Simon. The Bible says that Simon then ran away and wept bitterly. As the trial kept going on, the high priest finally said, are you the Messiah? Are you, are you the son of God? And Jesus pretty much says this, it's as you say, and from this moment you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. You know where he got that quotation from? The book of Daniel. And they knew what he was saying, because in that passage it's talking about the Son of Man who is divine and God. He says, from this moment you will see the Son of Man and he's coming on the clouds. The high priest then tears his robe it's like, what else do we have to hear? He's blasphemed. And then they take a vote. What do we need to do? Kill him. So we're going to fast forward through some of this. They take him to Pilate. And Pilate says, it's not my jurisdiction. Send him to Herod. Herod's kind of like this little fake king. Hey, and then Herod's like, hey, tell me something or teach me something or do some tricks. Jesus pretty much just stays silent. Herod's like, I don't want to deal with it. Send him back to Pilate. So he says, stand before Pilate. Religious leaders are they're throwing out all these false accusations. They're trying to bend things so that Pilate will see that he's an enemy of the state so that he'll have him crucified. And so now as Pilate is having a conversation with Jesus, 
Jesus isn't saying anything. Pilate then says something like this. Do you not understand that I have the authority to release you? And then Jesus speaks up. And this is my paraphrase. It's almost like Jesus said, oh, Pilate, you're JV. Welcome to varsity. This has been put in place before time began. Friends, when we look at Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible says this, before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in him. That means before God said, let there be light, he said, let them be mine. This whole plan of salvation wasn't plan B because of the garden. Oh, that was a mistake. Let's get another plan. With God, there is always only one plan. Plan A has always been the plan. And it was put in place before time began. And so when you have God in the flesh looking at this person, saying, oh, Pilate, you think you have authority. The only authority that you have has been given to you by my Father in heaven. You've got no play here. Do you realize that the Bible says that Pilate tried to get him to release the rest, the whole time? And so he's trying to get him released and, and he's talking to the religious leaders. He, he needs to die. He needs to die. And he's like, what has he done? Here's what I'll do. I'll have him flogged. This is what would happen. They would take Jesus and then strip him completely naked and tie his wrists to a vertical beam so that he's completely exposing his back. And then two Roman guards, one on each side, would have what's called the cat of nine tails. Cat of nine tails, picture a stick about 18 inches in length and little strips of leather tied from one end coming to this side. And then you have pieces of razor and sharp rock and bone. Guys, it's a claw. Guys, this thing was so brutal and they were so good at what they did. There are historical accounts where a Roman guard could stand on one side, bring it around the front of a person and pull as hard as he could and disembowel the person. Friends, this was not just a whipping. This was a mutilation. 39 times Jesus experienced this as it came across the back, maybe from the neck down to the calves, just came across the back and they pulled as hard as they could. 39 times, why? Because too many people died at 40. Can you imagine as Jesus is getting ready for it? And what if, he just, what if he just says it to himself? Or what if he's praying to the Father, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see me in my glory. Bam, and it hits him. He's just going, I want him, I want him. And he just keeps hanging on. And with each slash of that cat of nine tails, he's just hanging on. And then they would untimely collapse to the ground. The Bible says Roman guards come over and they bring him up and they found this purple robe and they put it around him. Then they found these thorns and they made this crown and to make sure that it stayed put, they smashed it into him, into a skull with a, with a staff. And then they would blindfold him and punch him and say, I'll prophesy, who hit you? Then they'd take the blindfold off and before five to six Hundred Roman cards, they're all in mockery. All hail, King of the Jews. All hail, King of the Jews. And as he's standing there, guys, I'm convinced he's still mouthing this. I want them to be with me. I want them to be with me. They would take him back before Pilate. And 
And as he's standing there, he'll, he's still trying to get him released. And so he thinks of this. He's got this plan. He says, hey, it's during this time I usually release one person, one prisoner. You can have Jesus or Barabbas. Jesus or the murderer. Which one? And all of a sudden the crowd, because the religious leaders got them going, the mob going. Friends, the mob is not always trustworthy. Get them going, get them going. Ah, oh, Barabbas. Barabbas, get Barabbas. Barabbas. Oh, Pilate, I wonder if he's just sitting there going, whoa. What do you want me to do with him? And then the chant starts, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He's sitting there going, what? And the Bible says that he knew all this was happening because he knew that the religious leaders were jealous. And so he signs the edict. And then he washes his hands in front of them and says, his blood is now on you. And they say, not just on us, but on our children as well. They would take the purple robe off. They kept the, crowns of, they kept the crown of thorns on him. They would put his clothes back on. Then they would take the crossbeam, not the whole cross, the crossbeam. They would lay it across his shoulders and Jesus would embrace it. Guys, that crossbeam weighs anywhere between 70 to 120 pounds. After being up all night, being beaten in the courtyard of the high priest's house and being beaten and just mutilated by the Roman, by the Roman guards, he now has to carry 120 pounds, about 600 yards is what I've heard, to where he's going to die, and no one had to push him. No one had to prod him. No one had to move him forward. He took the step as the Roman guards are surrounding him to get through the crowd. Some would break through, pull chunks of his beard out, spit on him, and he's going to what? To take a cross for those who are doing that to him. Why would he do it? Because he prayed a prayer and he conveyed his heart. Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in my glory. At some point, the, the cross beam becomes too heavy and he collapses to the ground and some scholars I read think that it landed straight on him. And he can't get up, he can't move, so a Roman guard finds some guy in the crowd. He says, come here, pick it up. He says, I can't do that. It's a curse, I can't do that. Pick it up. And so Simon would pick it up. And I wonder if as he picked it up and leaned it and he's holding on to it, what if, what if all of a sudden he's just trying to help Jesus up and what, what if Jesus, I'm not saying this is what it says, but what if as he's coming up, and I swollen looking at him and saying, I want him to be with me. And Simon would, content, would continue to carry the cross to Golgotha, the place of the skull. They would take Jesus as they're attaching the vertical beam or the, the vertical beam to the horizontal beam, the cross beam. They would take Jesus and completely strip him naked. They would lay him across the cross. They would take a railroad spike and they would drive it between the two bones in his wrist. And they would stretch out the other arm and, and do the exact same, stretch out as far as they could and drive a railroad spike between the two bones in that wrist. Then they would take one foot and place it up and bend it up and then, play, and then drive a spike through both feet. You know what the Bible says that Jesus was saying? 
times we look at it, it's like, well, it's just written once, so he just, he just said it once. No, the way that it's worded in the original language means he kept saying this over and over. You know what it was? He kept saying this, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. While they're attaching him to the cross, he is screaming out for their forgiveness. And when he's attached, they would then move the cross up and gravity would become too heavy for the one who created it. And gravity would begin to pull his body down and as it happened, his, his elbows would dislocate, his shoulders would dislocate because of the weight of his body. And he'd be left there to die. Guys, there's historical accounts of people on a cross alive for two weeks. Jesus was attached around nine in the morning. And remember what he went through before. Blood is just pouring out of his body. Friends, you didn't die from losing, or you, you didn't die from losing blood on the cross. Not everyone was, was scourged like that. You died because you couldn't breathe. And so when you're hanging, you can you can inhale, but in order to exhale, you have to push up on the spike in your feet and pull up on the spikes in your wrist. So there wouldn't be these long breaths. It would just be these short, just... <laughs> For six hours, as he's just trying to get oxygen in and, and then breathe out in agony. And then about noon, it says, the sky went dark like midnight. And Jesus says these words, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, it's the only time that I found when Jesus speaks to the Father where he doesn't call him Father. There's a reason. I have a conviction. Here's the reason. That on the cross in that moment to be forsaken by the Father I'm convinced that at that moment, Jesus was experiencing the full and complete wrath of God because of us and for us. He took it. Why? Because he wanted us. Just think of the agony that he's going through, but we ever stop and think, what was the Father experiencing? Guys, think of the agony that the Father, the intimacy broken between Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What was the Spirit of God doing? What agony was he experiencing? Can you imagine angelic beings looking and going, are you kidding me? Not understanding the plan of grace. They were there for creation. But this, this doesn't make sense. As time continues, Jesus knows he's about ready to die. His heart's beating, trying to find any part of blood, any, any ounce of blood left in his body. He's just going. And at some point, that same Jesus who just got done saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, also says this, Father. It's like there's a it's like relationship or intimacy is restored. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Isn't it mind-blowing? Here's Here's the Father pouring out the wrath of God on the Son, and yet the Son knows that the Father is good, that he would actually call him Father and then say, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then one final thing that Jesus said from the cross. And I know when we read it, it says, and Jesus said, 
Guys, I think he shouted it. I think this is why. I mean, this is the, this is the climax. This is it. It's over. Guys, I think that at that moment with every bit of strength left in his body, he pulled up on that spikes in his wrist and pushed up on the one in his feet and he just cries out, it is finished! Guys, you know what that literally means? Here's what he said. Paid in full. It's paid in full. What's that mean? Like, why do you have to die? Remember this morning we looked, our sin... Adam and Eve messed up. Rebellion against God. Sin into the world. And in that same chapter, remember that God made garments of skin. Something innocent had to die for those who were guilty so that God could cover their shame. Friends, that then points to all the sacrifices that were prescribed in the book of Leviticus and in the Old Testament and all the sacrifices that were constantly given as worship unto God so we can be forgiven and be right with God. And you get the writer of Hebrews saying, it is impossible for the blood of bulls or goats to actually bring about salvation or forgiveness. Guys, that whole Old Testament was pointing to Jesus' coming. Friends, I don't know that I would understand, and I still don't get it, but we would not even come close to understanding the depth of the love of God without the cross of Christ. Friends, there is no one, no one who has ever or ever will love you like that. The Bible says that he breathed his last and he died. Then it says the earth shook, like an earthquake happened. The scene shifts from the cross to the temple. And at the temple, there's this most holy place. The high priest went in there once a year and had to go in there in a manner worthy of the holiness of God to present a sacrifice. The sin of atonement is like to go and say, hey, here's something for the people of Israel. But that holy of holy places, as I've read and scholars have said, is separated by this curtain that some believe is about 18 inches thick. When Jesus died, that curtain was torn from top to bottom. As if the Father took his finger and says, you now have access to me because it's been paid in full. And so when we come back to that verse, for God so loved the world, friends, may it not become ordinary. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And friends, I used to stay there. Guys, I've been preaching this message when, when it's time to present a gospel time where we can make a decision for Jesus if you haven't or come back or whatever. When I first started out, I left Jesus dead. I just left the guilt. I remember being at this camp and this young man got my heart the whole time. Like I just knew, he told me some of his story and I thought, oh man, God, do something. And I gotta be honest, when I first started ministry, whole lot of ego. I actually thought it was that necessary. And so I remember preaching, it was the first time I got to go to a camp, speak somewhere else, and I was a big deal, I flew. They had to fly me there from Ontario to Oakland. That's like a 55 minute flight. And I'm like, I've made it. I'm the man. I'm on a Southwest airline flight from Ontario to Oakland. And they gave me a drink for free. I love orange juice, it's free. I thought it was a big deal. 
show up and I start preaching. It's time to call people to commit to Christ. And, and I'm up in the front and I said, this is how we're going to do it. Do you want to surrender to Jesus? And there's a big open area in the front. It's just come forward. It almost feels like come to me. Come to me. So all of a sudden you see a bunch of kids come up. And I see that kid in the back. And he's sitting there and all of a sudden he goes, huh? and he sits back down. And we're like, Holy Spirit, get him. Get him. And all of a sudden he stands up and goes forward. And I'm like, be cool because I'm the pastor. I see this all the time. This is ordinary. The next morning he comes up to me. He goes, Brian, did you see what happened? I said, I did. I, I did. I, I've been praying for you. I'm so glad. And he goes, I have a question. I said, absolutely. He goes, what happened next? And in my head I'm thinking, Brad, why aren't you paying attention? What happened next? And I went, oh. I didn't tell him the best part. I left Jesus on a cross because it's easier to make people make fake decisions when they feel guilty. And I needed my ego stroked. And I needed to feel validated. And I needed to feel better about myself. And I left him up there so they would feel guilty, so they would have some kind of thing happen not knowing at all whether or not any of them actually repented from sin and turned to Jesus. I just kept throwing it on, throwing the guilt because I needed more, needed more, and that I could go back and go, look what I did, look how God used me. I repented from that, friends, and I'm so terrified that I could go back into that ever, and so I'm always praying, God, please keep my opinion and my agenda to myself. May it never be about my ego. May it be about coming, people coming to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about you. From, I have never forgotten from that day to finish the story. Yes, he died on that Friday, but three days later, Jesus kicked death in the face and came back from the dead, just like he said that he would. Guys, the most monumental thing in all of human history happened, and Jesus predicted, and he pulled off Easter. He said, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. I lay it down, and I will take it up again. Guys, he wasn't wondering, is it going to work? Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. And he came back from the dead. Therefore, because of that, we have victory we walk in victory over sin and death. But what did Jesus rescue us from? The coming wrath. He rescued us from God's wrath. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Friends, it's at the cross of Christ that the love of God and the wrath of God collide all because of the grace of God. When I look at Ephesians 2, by nature, before Christ, I was a child of God's wrath. And then in verse 4, two of the best words ever. After hearing it, wait, by nature, I'm, a I'm an object of his wrath? In the first two words of verse 4, you know what it says? But God, welcome to grace. This is what I deserve. That cross is what I deserved. I deserved hell. I deserved punishment from God. But God, 
He steps in when I didn't do anything. You go down to verse 8, and it's that verse that all the cool Christian church kids know. But don't lose the meaning and don't, let it, don't keep it from moving into your heart. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, that word this, referring back to faith. This, not of yourselves. That faith necessary to surrender to Christ, not of yourselves. That faith is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. What's that mean? Workmanship equals masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. I don't do good things so I can get heaven. I do good things because I already have it. And heaven's not even the main part. The best part about Jesus is Jesus. I remember being in college in a chapel. Whoever the speaker was, I have no clue who it was. They said, imagine you get to heaven and Jesus wasn't there. Would you be bummed? And so I'm sitting there all by myself thinking, I'm like, would I be bummed? I always try to answer those questions honestly. Would I be bummed? Hmm. I mean, maybe for a little bit. But I get his stuff, right? Like street, why are we so enamored with streets of gold? Like think about it. Gold to us, it's like, well, that's super valuable. In heaven, it's asphalt. Maybe that's what humans should do out here in the road. <laughs> Start throwing gold down there. Guys, it's asphalt in heaven. He's like, streets of gold, okay. No more crying, no more dying, all this stuff that heaven is. I get that, right? Guys, that was a long time ago, and there's been a lot of breaking that God's had to do in my life, a lot of training up and helping and healing, and here's the thing, guys. Heaven for me now, just give me one room, two chairs maybe, one for Jesus, one for me. I could care less about the other stuff. And he had to do that work in me where it's just about him. Friends, what else could God do to prove to you that he loves you? For those of you still pushing against it, I'm asking you, what else could he do to prove to you that he loves you than to go through all of that? Not because we're worthy, but because we're what? Worth it. Here's what we're going to do. Friends, I'm going to give you an opportunity. First of those First, for those who have never surrendered your life to Jesus. And I know that this can be humbling because it's a Christian school, and maybe for some, you're sitting there going, well, I've kind of faked it. People think I'm, and I'm not. Maybe you'll feel a little bit awkward. But from what I've been seeing so far in here, it seems like you guys are kind of starting to get something going on in your community. But I want to make sure you understand this. You don't have to stand up in order to surrender to Jesus. You go with what does the Bible say? You're not saved by any work. So it's not like confess his lordship, believe he died on the cross, came back from the dead, and stand. So why do we do it? Why do we have an opportunity? Friends, because I remember in 1991, August of 1991, on that row is where I stood up not because I, that stood, standing up saved me. No, because I had surrendered my life and I stood up to say, I want to remember this day. This was the day I surrendered my life to Jesus. And I've never forgotten it. It's an opportunity for you, one, to remember your day. Not on what's the date? September 20th. <laughs> Lisa, did you see that? 
I had to pull it back a little bit, a little small. Thank you. September 20th, 2023, that's when I stood up, surrendered to Jesus. The other thing, the other reason is this, so that others can celebrate with you. Because the most impressive, powerful miracle in all of human history is when a person who was dead comes to life. And I don't understand what happened and when we started doing this. I remember when I was a middle school director, director, <laughs> wasn't, wasn't called or gifted enough to be a pastor yet, just a director. 19-year-old kid at camp, winter camp, bunch of, kid, bunch of middle school kids, and it was decision night, cry night. Guy up front, he says, he says this, if you want to accept Jesus into your heart, or you want to accept Jesus into your life, and now I cringe at those words. The Bible doesn't say accept him into your life. You don't have one without him. He's not like a little hobby. Hey, I've got this, and I like this, and I like sports, and I do pretty well at school, and I got Jesus. Don't accept him into your life. But that's how he worded it. And then he says this. Every head bowed, every eye shut. And boom, every... No, it's boom, eyes are shut. Even the ones that are making sure that you know how Christian they're tight, really close and tight. And their heads are bowed. Here's the thing, though. I want to know what's happening. Like, I, got, I, I get to go home with these kids. And so I'm, I've got my head down. Don't even know why I'm doing it, just because the dude up front said to... And all of a sudden, they start to peek. And then I hear these words, no peeking over the mic. It sounds like God. No peeking. I'm sorry. Don't send me to hell. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. Not peeking. He says, do you want to accept Jesus? I just raised a hand. He says, and then he starts to count. He's like, I see that hand. I love that. Isn't that that's a weird phrase. I see that hand. I see that hand. Show me your hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. It's like, oh, I feel good. I, feel, I see that hand. Yeah. So we're out this, the whole room's like this. He's counting. One, two, three, four, five, 12. I'm sitting in the back going, wait, how'd you get from five to 12? You're stupid. You can't count. 12, 41. 606, I'm like 606, there's like 200 kids here. 54,000, oh my gosh, the whole county's getting saved right now. Do you ever, you ever wonder if angels in heaven are going, why do they do that, God? It's like, I don't know, I never asked them to. They just came up with it because they were afraid that people wouldn't raise a hand because people might know about it, and yet I've never wanted camouflage Christians. I want them to deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow me. I want them to say, I'm not ashamed of this. So here's how we do it. And yeah, did I poke fun? Absolutely. Do I think people got saved? Absolutely. But in that way of doing it, you rob every single person there from actually witnessing the miracle. I don't understand it. So here's how we do it. Every head up, every eye open. Everyone gets to watch. And some sit and go, oh, I'm definitely not standing. That's okay. The standing doesn't save you. The standing doesn't make you restored and in right relationship with God. It's when you confess that Jesus is master. 
And you believe that he died on a cross and came back from the dead. And you call out to him because you got nothing else. You call out to him to save, save me. Jesus, save me. Your Lord, your master. The Bible says you will be saved. And your identity changes from sinner to saint. Sinner, gentlemen, to a son of the king. Sinner, ladies, daughter of the king. Then when someone walks up and says, you're just a wretched sinner. No, no, no. I'm a child of the king. That's my identity. If anyone keeps thrusting that in your face, you're just a horrible, wretched sinner. No, I'm saved by grace. And yes, I struggle with sin. And I struggle with this fleshly desires. But I am a child of God, adopted and grafted into his family, and dwelt by his Holy Spirit. What else could he do to prove that he loves you? So for those of you who've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered to his lordship, you don't have to stand up, but I want to invite you to do so. Why? So we can celebrate with you. Followers of Jesus, this is where we pray. That the Spirit of God would convict of sin that the Father would draw those whom he has called to himself, that we would see salvation tonight. So with every head up and every eye open, if you're saying, I've never surrendered my life to Christ, I've never received what's called imputed righteousness, what's that mean? Picture me wearing a dirty coat and Jesus wearing a coat of righteousness, and when I surrender to him, he gives me his coat, he imputes righteousness, so when the Father looks on me, he sees me as if I am as righteous as Jesus mind-blowing. You're forgiven when you surrender to Christ. So, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you did it sometime while you've been up here or tonight, you're saying, I want to tell people that, I'm, that I've, I have or I am surrendering to Jesus. With every head up and every eye open, if you would do us a favor just so we can celebrate with you, would you stand if you were surrendering to Jesus for the first time tonight? Okay, now don't sit there and go, poor Brian. Wait, do I see one? Wait, is there one? Oh, in the back, thank you. Thank you. Stay right there, okay? Don't move. Awesome. Awesome. Stay right there. Don't sit down yet. Just a second. Ah, oh. praise the Lord. For those of you standing, can I just ask you a couple questions? Just one word in reply. And don't have to be loud. You can just say, Jesus hears. By standing up, are you confessing that Jesus is Lord of your life? 
By standing up, are you saying that you believe that he died on a cross and came back from the dead? And are you calling out to him to save you? Then welcome to the family. guys can have a seat for just a second. The next crew I wanted to ask, maybe some of you made that decision. It was legit when you did. You kind of wandered off, and maybe you kind of had this attitude, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm just not practicing. That's like me saying I'm married. I'm just not practicing. <laughs> Friends, there's really one responsibility when you call yourself a follower of Jesus. It's to follow Jesus. And maybe some of you need to repent. You've been living away. You've been getting kind of entangled up in all this sin and you're liking it, but now you're starting to say, man, it's not it. And you're starting to experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit and he's drawing you back. So some of you, maybe you need to go, I'm repenting. Jesus, I want to come home and I want to encourage those of you where you will make this decision in just a second. Read the second half of Luke 15 and watch the response of the father. It's awesome. When that little prodigal son comes home and you watch the father's response, it is absolutely beautiful. So maybe some of you need to come home and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the first crew. The second crew, I'm going to, I'm going to invite to do this. Those of you who are broken... Like the season that you're in is just horribly hard. And for some of you, you've kept it to yourself. Not, I can't tell anybody because if I tell anyone, will they think I don't love Jesus? Because I'm struggling? Will they still accept me if I confess that I do? Friends, ultimately, you start with what will God do? What does Jesus do? Guys, he heals the brokenhearted. He helps. Guys, you realize that his mission now, Jesus isn't just sitting in heaven going, one day it's going to be done. Guys, do you realize that Jesus is still interceding for us? He still intercedes for us. He aches and hurts for us more than we hurt So if you're one of those two camps, you need to come back to Jesus. You just got to come back. You made that decision, but man, you wandered. Come back. Or, God, I'm broken. This is the first time I've actually mentioned it or told anyone about it. If you're in one of those two places, would you do us a favor so we can help? On our part, we can pray. Would you stand up? Just stay right there for just a second. I'm going to use you guys as props. 
I promise it's going to be good. Teachers and staff and parents and volunteers who slept on amazing beds. <laughs> Do me a favor. Would you look around the room for just a second? Hume Lake staff, look around the room. Isn't this why you do what you do? Isn't this it? Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary. When the enemy discourages you, don't grow weary. Don't give in to the lies. For those of you who are standing, for those of you who are repenting and coming back, let me be the first one to say that I believe what God would say is welcome home. And for those of you who stand because you're broken, you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You said that I've, pr I've prayed, I've cried out, and I don't. Exodus 14, 14. Let me read this over you for just a second. One short verse that I need to pull out my glasses for. Ready? So I'll start in verse 13. As Moses says to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And then scooting down to verse 14. Here it is. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The Lord, the one who measures the universe like this, he will fight for you. He will help, he will comfort, he will heal, he will do his perfect work in you, I promise. Can we stand, all of us? Let's pray. And friends, I want to invite us, and I know that for some this is uncomfortable and it's totally okay, but I want to invite you if you take your hands and just place them palm, palm up, just right here in front of you. Is this, we're, we're giving up and we're receiving at the same time. Father, thank you. Thanks for letting us see salvation. Thank you for letting us see it. Oh, all of heaven is rejoicing. And I thank you that we got to jump in on the party. God, I pray that those who stood to say they're surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus for the first time and those who stayed seated and are confessing the same thing, Father, I pray, oh, I pray you protect them from the enemy. Holy Spirit, as you indwell them, I pray that you'd begin that ministry that you do. And may they know and walk forward in the identity they have saved, redeemed, forgiven, adopted, adored, child of God. God, for those who came back, they needed to repent, come back. And I pray that repentance isn't just tonight, but every day we constantly repent and come back. God, may they continue to come back to you because they believe that you're worth it. 
And God, for those who are broken, God, I thank you that I don't have to ask this. I thank you that you meet them. I thank you that you will work in them. I thank you that you will heal them. I thank you that you receive them. And I thank you that you will fight for them. Oh, God, you're good. And for the rest of us, God, oh, you're awesome. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you for what you'll continue to do. Oh, Jesus, thank you. And all that has happened tonight and all that you'll continue to do, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor, for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than you know.